Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human 101.9 High FM. And my guest today is Vanda uh, Kraus, which I'm so happy about, and her daughter is sitting with her, but has told me she's not saying a word, but we'll see about that. Jackie Jackson. <laughs> Welcome to both of you, and it's so good to have you here. And Sue, thank you very much for inviting us onto the program to, for you and your listeners. You know, Vanda, your, your story is fantastic and, uh, we have Judy Mindel to thank for actually telling me to phone oh, you. I shoot her. <laughs> and you want to shoot her. Okay. I want to say what a brilliant idea. And we, we spoke on the phone a few times, you and I, but now we're sitting opposite each other and it's just so nice to be able to look at you and see you and say hello and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. You are very, well known in the Jewish community in Johannesburg but you come from an unbelievable story a background story I just want to just tell people listening in that you have achieved in many roles of your life and one of the roles was in music um, Vanda was called Vanda Arleti um, and she she actually her maiden name was um if I pronounce it not not correctly, Alatovich. Alatovich. Okay. And um she was known here in South Africa and in England as Wanda uh, uh, Aleti or Wanda Aleti because the W is a V in, in Polish and a very well-known popular singer who topped the lists of the 20 hits worldwide many times in the 60s and the 70s. Mm. And I, I know that people want to know, what did music mean to you? Music to me was beautiful, but it was hard work. You know, most people used to say to me, aren't you lucky to be going to sing on stage? And I used to view it as, I'm going to work. Like you go to work, I'm going to work. It's hard work. It's um, exercising your vocal cords the whole time, moving the whole time. You're like an athlete when you go up there and you sing, and then you've got to be in charge of your voice mm. Well, make just sure that now, everything comes out all right. So it is nerve-wracking. It must be nerve-wracking. And you were very young, but just now Jackie showed me a, a YouTube of you uh, dancing, I mean, what moves, unbelievable. Thank you. And, that uh, was when I was Bobby McGee. That's when you I were changed. Bobby McGee. Yes. So you changed to Bobby McGee from um, Van Der Yes, that's, that's the publicity that, that was given to me in London. And they changed everything about me, like you do with a cornflakes box. <laughs> they changed everything about you. <laughs> they repackaged you. you re they repackaged me and gave me the name of Bobby McGee and gave me uh, Joan Collins's... Uh, Dressmaker to to make my outfits for me, and well, I think Madonna would have liked those outfits. Oh, the one that I saw there, very skinny, very tight, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, I might add for any of you who don't, and I know we've got people listening in from Australia at the moment, and from Israel, and from England. And uh, I'm sitting opposite uh, Vanda, a very beautiful woman, and her daughter, both with shaitels on. And uh, the reason why I'm mentioning that is because Vanda's going to tell us the most incredible story of her parents' journey from Poland to England to South Africa and in between. Vanda, where would you like to start? Well, I would like to start by honoring my wonderful parents. 
Though they were totally committed to their culture of Roman Catholicism, my mother lived in a small village of Vigoda in the Carpathian Mountains, 35 kilometers from the Czechoslovakian border. That's where the Baltim Shem Tov used to sit and pray in the mountains there. So obviously he had an influence there somehow. It was. There were beautiful forests, every kind of berry that you can imagine, bubbling brooks. She was just brought up in, in a fairy wonderland, and her father was a forester. They owned a, a house. He was a forest caretaker and they lived in a four bedroom cottage in the mountains their neighbours were Jewish and Catholics who lived in a community like you have today like you've got around Johannesburg just you know there wasn't a thing of anti-Semitism there they so were they just, were all friends everybody was friends in fact the local storekeeper was a Jewish uh, man by the name of Bear who actually gave Everybody in the community hamantashen during Purim. Is that so? And it's funny that many years later my mother would turn around and say, Oh, you're serving hamantashen. And I'd say to her, Where did you hear about that? <laughs> that was from my childhood days. Good heavens. How many people were in that village more or less? Do you know? Never, never calculated it. Uh, it was, it was a small village, but it also had, was a village that produced vinegar. That was the factory that was down the road from where they lived. They produced vinegar from the trees. Oh, so they were all allowed to to practice their religions. (coughs) Yes, there was a school. Um, It was mixed, like you get here. The, the, The religions used to mix, but I think when it came to prayers... They all separated and did what they needed to do. Mm. So mummy had her Jewish friends and her non-Jewish friends. So when the war broke out, your mother must have been incredibly shocked at the change of her life. They couldn't believe slowly the news was coming through every night that things were happening, that the war was coming, and they and their village would turn around and say, it'll never get to us, we'll be fine, we'll be safe. But when the war broke out in 1939... My mother used to help Polish soldiers and Jewish people to escape through the forest to Czechoslovakia border. She was only 15 years old. Sometimes she would ask to hide rifles in the woods so the Russians wouldn't find them. So she was very active through my father, who was uh, my, fa- my grandfather, who was the forester. Mm-hmm. Took a lot of courage, though, for, for her to do that at that age. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, one day, uh, one man asked, pleaded my grandfather to hold on to all his private papers during the escape, and he would fetch them back off to the war. Can you imagine? That's he had amazing. such hope that it was a... That's amazing. My, father, my grandfather agreed and put the papers with his own papers in a side drawer. When she was 15, my mother with her sister aged 8 and 5, Yanina respectively, she died though, um, in Siberia were taken out of their home as prisoners of war. Just hang on a sec. We're just breaking for an advert. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Vanda Kraus and her daughter who's sitting here thinking, I'm not going to ask her questions, Jackie Jackson. If you want to SMS us, you may on 34519 or WhatsApp us on 62 
0614-104-2374. We would love to hear from you. Now, Vanda is telling us a story about her mom. She's hoping it doesn't sound like she's reading it. But I said to her, actually, it's a story that really needs to be published. And she has got notes down about it. And that's, that's fantastic because you are, you're talking about her as we need to hear about her, Vanda. So Thank carry you. on. I don't want to get the story wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so in the middle of winter, the Russian soldiers barged in and forced my grandfather at gunpoint to stand against a wall. While my mother gathered the food and clothes, stuffed everything into pillowcases. We used to call them pijani. Pijani? Yeah, I think that's what the names. My grandfather shouted to my mother, don't forget everything that's left in the drawer. That's all the their, papers the and papers things. and all their personal stuff. So she did, and and money, and they were taken down to the train station. And my mother remembers the, the last things that she saw was a candle lit on the table in their lounge. That was because they they were taken at night time. It was like four Aww. o'clock, and, and it was the middle of winter, mm. and they were mm. taken on sleds, driven by horses. And um, the dogs were chained outside on a long chain, and the dogs would run up and down, and that's the last. I mean, that's their horses, memory. their cows, their, their geese, the ducks, and everything that they had. I mean, they just left everything, and I'm sure somebody came and took over mm-hmm. everything that was there. And they were taken down to the railway station and pushed into a cattle truck. Mm-hmm. And they found a little corner that they all sat in and other families were brought in. You know, it's so fascinating what you're saying because we hear so much. I myself have been to Poland, obviously, and been to the different concentration camps. Um, and we hear so much about uh, Jewish refugees from the war, Holocaust survivors. And here you are talking about your mom, who was a Roman Catholic Polish survivor. Yes, well, and you know, um, in a cattle truck, a, a lot of the men that were in the cattle truck, they, they, they spoke to each other and saying, why us? What have we done? Why are we landing up in a cattle truck? So they were in the cattle truck for, for six weeks. And her neighbors that you said, you know, they were all mixed. Were they also? All they said? were, they were Jewish, non-Jewish. It was a, a mixed, bag of people that went on on this cattle truck. You know, what the Germans did later, I mean, they stuck a hundred families in one cattle truck. And when the war really broke out, Mm. then they would put in three, four, five hundred people that they couldn't sit down. Mm. That's when they become... They, they had no thought for human humanity. So they were sort of at the beginning of the war where they still had a little space that they could sit in the cattle truck. So you ask me, how did they manage to have any kind of uh, privacy? Mm. And there was a man that was on the cattle truck who had a hammer, and he hammered through the boards of the cattle truck and made a hole. And the women got together blankets, and they managed to pin up the blankets around this hall to make it possible for people to use it as 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 a bathroom, as a toilet, mm. and I'm going, you know that that was really thinking. 
It's absolutely incredible, actually, to think with such modesty when you are you don't know your destination and you don't know where you're going. Uh, I mean, really, it's uh, it's quite amazing that they thought like that. And then, how long did it take them to six weeks to get to to the east of Siberia? And they went into a very large camp. And in those six six weeks, were they ever allowed off the trains at all? Uh, no, the no, they were locked in there and they had to scrape for water off, off the top of the, the, the roofs. They used to put their hands out of the, they, they used to have little strips of window at the top of the cattle trucks and they used to scrape to get the water off to, to get some water Gee, that the they could drink. For, oh but gosh. don't forget they did have food because the Russian soldiers did warn them, take food with you, take clothes with you. So they had their pillowcases with things that they could eat, but they didn't have water. Mm-hmm. So after six weeks, they managed to reach the, their destination. There are huge camps, and they had to travel for hours, trudge through the snow and the bitter cold mm-hmm. to get to where they were staying. And they were each given a podium inside a hut, a podium that was six foot by six foot. For how many people? For one person? For one family. For one family. So each family had to sit on this podium. (coughs) Excuse me. No, you've got it. Everyone's got a cough in Johannesburg at the moment, I might add. So they had to confine themselves to that six by six podium. And they, my mother used to go into the fields to find Potatoes that was left over from potato crops. So she would forage for potatoes? Yes. Oh, my word. Now, um, after four years or so, um, they decided that the Polish people had to go part of the the war again. So there was... Uh, um, <coughs> Sorry, excuse no, me. It's okay. So Bonda's actually <laughs> struggling to talk because of her cough. So just if you hear the coughing, just so sorry. Accept it. She's going to be. You'll be going to be hearing her singing just now. <laughs> um, uh, where was I? To um, you were talking about your mom going out to the to forage for potatoes. Potatoes, and, they, and then after four years, after four years, there there was an announcement. The general, the Polish general. Czeskowski, or just if anybody can remember, can phone in and tell me what his name was, um, decided to release all the people from Siberia to join the war against Germany. When you say all the people, you mean all, all races? The, all races, all everybody. Mm-hmm. And my mother had made friends with a, a woman called Miriam who was Jewish. And she actually had fell in love with the Jewish boy when she was in camp there. Oh, did she? Yes, she did. That was naughty. She only told me afterwards <laughs> how she really liked this young man. Um, but my, uh, the, the sad point is that my sister, who was traveling in the, in the train, died of, um, you mean her sister, her your sister, mom's sister, died from a bladder infection and they had to, and died in her arms. And she was buried outside the back of one of the huts. It was very, you know, everything was different. It was heartless. It was, you know, so there's only one sister left. So they left. They went, oh, 
I forgot a very important part of the story. Every day they were given 25 grams of black bread. The men got 250 grams of black bread. And my father decided that every time they have bread, they must take one cube of the bread out and put it aside just in case one day they'll escape. So this was his discipline of not eating all the food, but just to collect cubes of bread. Now, that came in very useful because they were released from the camp. They were told to trudge to the train stations. And there was train stations obviously all the way across to the west, across the Caspian Sea. They used to, they caught a boat to get to uh, Uzbekistan where they caught up with the Polish army. But what saw them through was the fact that they had these cubes of bread mm. that they could put into tin cups with boiling water and that gave them nourishment. What foresight that he had to he, do that. Unbelievable. But do you know how many thousands of people died en route mm. from pure starvation and disease? Even on the ships when they were going across the, the, the sea, people were just dying. They were just throwing them overboard. We're stopping for an advert, and afterwards you're going to hear um, Vandup singing Zanzibar. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Vanda Kras, and you've just heard her singing Zanzibar, and we all tapped along to that. It's a very catchy <laughs> tune, actually. Thank you. And I believe that that was top of the, the hits worldwide. And I didn't want to record it. It was Billy Forrest who produced it. And I'm going, that's such a silly song. Why do you want me to? He said, just do it. <sighs> Do it. You don't have to be sophisticated with your music. Just do this. And I did. And, and it's I so love catchy. it. <laughs> I love it too. I had another one that I wanted to play. And uh, unfortunately, it hasn't come through. But if any of you want to listen to it, go onto Google on to, under um, Wanda Aletti. And you'll see it's called Walk Us Around a Rainbow. And my grandchildren loved it. They wanted me to play it today. But it's not coming through. We're going to be ending actually with a beautiful uh, song that um, Vanda uh, wrote and sang for in the um, in, Phil- London. in London Philharmonic Orchestra. But that we'll end with Vanda. Let's go back to your mom and, uh, and also, her story. And yeah. her story, yes. Okay, so they made their way to Uzbekistan, where they joined the army, the Polish army, and. Um, she, uh, I, I missed out the part that she was in the cotton fields for a while and Miriam, her friend's brother, made them escape from the cotton fields to join onto the Polish army mm. just before this was happening. It's such a long life history. <laughs> um, and the, the army made their way through to Israel. My, my mother went to Israel. Isn't that Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And she said she remembers there were um, farmers, Israeli farmers, that were bringing in stocks of oranges into town, into Jerusalem. And they were shouting things like, Vitami, Vitami, meaning we welcome you, we welcome you. Uh-huh. And threw them oranges. My mother has never in her life seen an orange. 
where she came from, it was berries and apples and plums and pears, but not an orange. Huh. And then somebody else introduced her to a watermelon that was also something so delicious, like you could, she's oh. never in her life tasted anything. I mean, we that. just take it so for granted, don't we, Jackie? Uh, honestly. So she stayed there for three months, and then she decided she would go with the Polish army by ship to England to see if she could find her father, because they were separated during Uzbekistan. And what happened to her other sister? By the that sister stage? was sent to India with a whole group of. Polish children, they were, they, they were sent to India, a whole group of them. So she wanted to get back, but Miriam, her friend, decided that she would stay in Israel, and she made Aliyah and she stayed there, and my mother got onto one of the ships that came down the Red Sea and down to South Africa, hmm. and they made port in Durban. That's but a lot of people don't know this, but there were three ships. Two ships got through into the Durban Harbour, and one ship was put torpedoed. By by whom? By the Germans. Oh, my gosh. That never made it. And nobody ever speaks. I'm going, why doesn't anybody mention such a, a historical, horrific? It just wasn't that important in those days, because a lot of those sort of things were happening. But she remembers being in Durban when all the, the hotels in the front were made out of woods. There wasn't huh. anything very spectacular to see. And she got a rickshaw ride. I got a picture <laughs> of her on a rickshaw. And from there, they made their way up to England. And they landed up in Scotland. And there was a little town called Peebles. And in Peebles, everybody had a message place, uh what do you call it? Uh, a board? A meeting rooms. place, meeting I place. suppose. Mm. <clears throat> Especially can, after the war when people were searching for. Yeah, where's my brother? Family. Where's my mother? Do you know mm. this family? Do you know that family? Etc. Etc. And my mother was telling a group of people that were standing there that she came from a town called Vigoda. And a man came up to her and said, Excuse me, um, but I did stop in Vigoda. And I left all my papers with the family that were in Vigoda. Oh, my mother held her breath. She said, you know what, just hold on, please. And she went to her room where she stayed. And she brought out all these papers and said to him, are these your papers? That's, and it was. That's and unbelievable. everybody went mad. They couldn't believe such a, uh, and she had carried it right ca- from the right from the beginning the of whole, the war, yes. right to Siberia, across the whole of 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 uh, Russia, past past Durban, in Durban. I mean, and then on to Scotland, and and found there. this man and returned all his papers to him. That's and I'm going, amazing. That is that 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 was her mitzvah that she was mm. supposed to do. Was to get these papers to this Jewish person. Absolutely, you know. So such um, synchronicity. I mean, that, that is Hashem's hand in that, definitely. Over the years. Mm, mm. But anyway, my mother met my father in where in, in Scotland. In Scotland, and my sister was born in Scotland, and I was born in London. Oh, just go back a sec then to your dad. So where where was your dad during the war? My dad was going for practice. He was. He was a musician, to be, um, a concert pianist. 
1939, when they were rounding up all the Polish, uh, you, you've got the statistics of mm-hmm. how many people were were taken out of Poland. Do you want me to tell? Yeah, okay. he's part of that. One sec. This uh, this is very fascinating, and funny enough, I, I found this on Google after speaking to Vanda, that it says 500,000 Polish nationals were imprisoned before June 1941. 90% of them were male. Th- 320,000 Poles were deported to Siberia. Of those, 100,000 women were raped during the Soviet yep, yep. counter-offensive, um, which is just unbelievable to, uh, to to think that that's what your mom had to survive, quite honestly. And uh, it's it's just too terrible. There's a picture here of bodies of Polish prisoners of war by the mass graves yep. uh, that were found well, in 1943. You know, after the war, uh, I, I don't know how many people know that the statistics but 57 million people died during the, the World War II. 57 mm. million. Now we're going across the board. We're going the Germans, the Russians, the Polish, the whatever you call it, whatever the nation Gypsies, they came from. The, oh, the, absolutely. Yeah. So that's a, a tremendous amount of people that lost their lives during that, those six years. But, uh, anyway. Go back to my mom and daddy. We're going back to your dad. So he was. Oh, my daddy. He was, he was taken off because he was a pianist and the Germans sort of put him into a band in Germany where he <clears throat> played the piano and, um, the, uh, what do you call it? The hum- hum- um, the accordion. Yes, he was the accordion. very good with and the saxophone and the trumpet. He, he knew it all. And he used to listen to these drunk Germans talking and uh, spreading news, you know, during his breaks. And he used to. So they were probably showing off, you know, mostly showing off what they were doing. And they they felt very much at home with the musicians that were there. And a past information which my father passed on to the French resistance. Good heavens, that was so he very was, courageous. Yeah, he was he was an, an incredible man. Eventually he escaped and he also found his way to Scotland. Oh. It seemed to have been a place where Polish people met was in Scotland. I've um, never heard of that, funny enough. Uh, my father was from Scotland and I, uh, I never knew that uh, it was a a meeting place very for, much so. mm, for immigrants coming yeah. in. And then how long did they stay in Scotland for? Oh, well, was, uh, about a year and a half. Um, they, they met. They got married in their, in, in their Polish uniforms. You know, it's so <laughs> sad when I see everybody in their white wedding dresses. And all she had was a little bouquet of flowers. Uh. All she had was herself and all he had was himself. And they got married and fell in love and that was the, the, the story of them where... Did your mom ever reconnect with her father and her sister? Yes, later on they did reconnect in London. My sister came back from India and she came and lived with my mom and my two sisters. And, um, yes, yeah, in fact, you know who also lived with us? Maybe you might know her, Vicky Fitzpatrick. Do you remember Paddy O'Byrne? Yes, yes. Paddy O'Byrne's wife used to live with us. We used to in have England. In England. Isn't that amazing? So with Paddy O'Byrne and Vicky, we've been friends 
<laughs> for decades. Good they heavens. were they were part of our family. Everything we used to do was with Paddy and Vicky and Jane and Dominic, their children. They were very much part of our family. So I thought I'd just throw that in because a lot of people would know who Paddy is. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Now, you then, so you moved to, to London and you were born in Hackney. Is that right? Absolutely. And then why did your parents decide to immigrate to South Africa? You know, the, uh, there was more chances of better employment for my, my father in South Africa. And he left two years before us. We stayed uh, in South Africa and in London for two years without him. Did what? Did you speak English in the home or? We know we spoke totally, we spoke Polish. I had to learn how to speak English. But and you went boy, to English schools, did you? It was very difficult. I used to get beaten up a lot because I was Polish. Oh, bullied. And so I'm sure bullied. after the war there was such anti-Poles and oh, anti- you cannot believe. Uh, I see a message has come through. It says, everyone in Bosnia was your friend, remember? And then it says, an angry Jew. That comes from an angry Jew. And um, I'm not quite sure um, what he means, but whether it is because there was this, this feeling about Poles and Germans after the war. And, um, you know, a lot of other Holland, the, the Dutch came into that as well, that equation. Mm, yeah, there's a lot of angry people mm. and a lot of people holding grudges against other people. Um, and yet I'm your story, quite honestly, is highlighting another side to this whole war story. Yes. And, uh, and it's highlighting the choices people made, decent polls. Yeah, this was the decent. Listen, they weren't made, all decent. No, but me. I'm saying in every single culture, there are the decent and the indecent. Yes. Of everything. Yes. Of every type of person. Yes. And here, what you're highlighting is your mother's there courage was another at side. that young age, your father's courage to pass um, information on to the resistance, French resistance. They could have been killed immediately. Well, I think this is the gift that I was given, the fact that they, their lives were not involved in any anti-Semitism whatsoever. They didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. It was their way of dealing with survival. And being human. And not being part of the war. My mm-hmm. mother really wasn't part of the war. She was a prisoner. But also your mom and your dad's ability to show the humanness in their, their natures. Yes. You know, yes. which comes across very strongly in that story. Well, that's why I feel I have to tell it because you do have a lot of angry Jews out there mm. who, who are anti-Polish, anti this, going, we weren't all part of it. We, we didn't, my parents weren't part of this. I think this is the gift why eventually I became Jewish and, Everything that's happened in my life has turned out to be such a gift. Mm. You were almost and it doesn't certainly didn't come from a side of anger. Mm. It came from acceptance. Acceptance, and and my parents were the most amazing people. I, I've got so much to show them honor of mm. of what they did and how they managed to survive and to come to South Africa and give me a, a beautiful life. And tell me about um, your your dad. When when he came here, was he a musician in South he Africa? Was, he was always a musician. So he, he worked as a musician and he 
found out that I could sing. So the next thing I knew, I was singing. I was going to school in Durban North, Durban North uh, Catholic School. Yes. Uh, our Lady of Fatima Convent School. Uh-huh. And he found out that I could sing at the age of 12, 13. Yeah. So he trained me with two other girls to sing called Girlfriends. So it was never your passion to sing? It was never my, I didn't know what, what does a kid know? I knew very little. I just knew that I had survived with my parents who had come through such trauma. And that we were people who survived. Did you ever meet your grandparents? I think once I met my grandmother. So did your mother ever reconcile, reconnect with your grandfather, with her father? Um, once. I think they saw them once. Because uh, she was searching for him, wasn't yeah, she? she? Yeah. Did your grandmother come out alive after the war? Was she? My mother's, my mother's mother died. When she, when she was little, she went to deliver uh, a baby in the winter and she caught pneumonia and she died. See, uh, she was doing Hesed. Families do do Hesed. Absolutely. But that was before your mom was sent to Siberia then. Yes. I mean, so, so there were lots of losses in your mom's life, weren't there? That there was survived. a lot. But mm. we, we kind of lived through it. We could feel the pain, though they never said anything. Mm. We, you could pick up, you know, if I was getting beaten up at school, it wasn't something that I would come home and complain to my parents because you instinctively pick up that there's something not quite right with them mm. that they're coming to grips with mm. in their life. And they don't want to share it. And, <coughs> you know, it's quite interesting that you should say that because there's a very interesting article called um, the World War Two uh, Children of World War Two Veterans. And how it was never spoken about. The the parents would come back from the war and they tried to protect us from it. And I know with my father the same, being a, a squadron leader in the Royal Air Force in Britain, um, he he never spoke about it. But I, I, as you say, you you pick up. Your children are like sponges. You do pick up what's going on around you, whether it's de- sudden depressions or withdrawal from you or whatever it is. Yes. And you end up trying to protect your parents, don't you? That's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. So you're and connected all the time. You are connected all the time. So by the time you came here, you could obviously speak English. And are we going to go back to another ad break? Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my guest today is, is uh, Vanda Kraus and her daughter who's sitting here quietly passing her mom water every now and again, um, Jackie. Jackie and my son Mark were good friends, but we're not even going to discuss that, Jackie. <laughs> but so I've known Jackie for a long time. We've got another um, SMS that's come through. It says, a wonderful guest and interview. Thank you. Oh, so <clears throat> if any of you would like to send us a, an SMS, please do so on 34519 or WhatsApp us on 062-148-2374. Right, Vanda, let's yes. go back to you again. So because there's so much of your mom's story, but I just want to pick up with you. 
you then we can always have an, I know we're going to have requests for you to come back to tell us more of your mom and dad's story to tell you the truth but I just don't want to leave you out of this you met your husband Richard in South Africa and yes. he was Jewish yes and he was the lead guitarist of the Staccatos yes. is that right yes correct right and um after you got married you actually went back to England the two of you yes and um and he was very involved there was with music wasn't he yes the two of us you uh, both were yes mm. so in 1972 we got married Right, okay. And, uh, and how was that? I mean, because you were coming from a Roman Catholic background, he was well, in a Jewish really, background. I really want to know the little story behind that, and it is a, a, quite a story. We got married in a little Roman Catholic church round the back of Louis Botha, and there was a Father Shuskoski that married us, and it was a convent. It was a whole lot of, um, Convent people, what do you call them, nuns, mm. who who landed up in financial trouble. Now, the f- person who was very close to my family was a man called Heinrich. He was a very wealthy man, and he gave us his Rolls Royce to get married with, oh, to travel yes. backwards and forwards. And he was in the church when we got married, and the nuns got hold of the fact that he was there begged him after the wedding if they could speak to him because they knew of his fame and fortune. So the nuns begged him if he would buy the property where this chapel was. Where this chapel was and all the grounds that were around the chapel if they could he if if he would buy them. So he bought the property and he kept it for quite some time. Eventually, Chabad House came forward to, there was a Jewish lawyer that worked for Heinrich, who was very kind, and, and I've forgotten his name, and it's, it was actually so important I should remember who he was, but I, I'm sorry. I Maybe remember. one of somebody listening somebody will remember. Um, the Lubavitch people approached them to say, could we please buy your land? Please can we buy your land? And um, Heinrich agreed. And funny enough, the date that he agreed to sell to the Lubavitch is the same date that I got married under the chuppah. Oh, is that so? And the same date that the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe was released from prison many years ago. Good and it all heavens. turned out, that's what Rabbi Mazinta told me. So what you have now today, the Torah Academy. Yes. Came about because of you getting married in a little chapel. Little did I know. Little did I know <laughs> how Hashem weaves a, Look a whole story. And it, so, if you want to know where Torah Academy came from, it was bought by a man called Heinrich, and, and it was literally agreed upon in a little chapel off Louis Boerta. Yes, I mean, isn't that a wonderful yes. story? Yes. And so when did you decide to, well, you, you went overseas, you had four children over there. Well, first, no, I got, I was very involved in the music business. I had a publicist. Yeah, in South Africa. No, no, in, in, in England. In England. Mm-hmm. And they just, as I told you before, they decided to change my name to Bobby McGee, a cornflakes packet. Yeah. And to get all these clothes made up, my, um, forgotten her name Joan Joan Collins Collins. Mm. 
and um, they they put me on all the TV shows. And my record that I recorded, I did a lot of recordings, a lot, a lot. And then this one with Johnny Kangaser, he was the one who produced it, called uh, Rock and Roll People, started to hit the charts the same time as Susie Cotter broke onto the charts with her Can the Can. Oh, yeah. So the two of us were literally the same kind of artists between the two of us. And mine started to leap up the... The charts. The charts. And then all of a sudden, they ran out of vinyl. They couldn't press anymore. They they had a strike. And I think it had a lot to do with pushing can the can and not pushing rock and roll people to the uh, top of the charts. Gee. It's, it's, it's a business. You know, that's how they work it's over there. It's a cutthroat there. business, It's a cutthroat business. Um, Craig, were you, t- there's another, que- there's another message that has come through. Shalom, I'm so blessed to hear the story from Jackie's Emma herself. Wow, Miriam Maffey. Hi Miriam. Thank Hi. you Miriam, <laughs> that's fantastic. What a lovely message. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I see it's already we, oh, 10 to 10. Are you, are we going to have to start wrapping up just now, Craig? Will you tell me what time? Because we're going to be in, oh, I'm sorry, um, Vandy, you can see you're going to have to come back. There's so much still to <laughs> talk about. But uh, what I wanted to say is that we're going, when we do end, we are ending with a song that, um, Vanda actually wrote. Just tell us about that for a moment. Well, after, um, rock and roll people and, uh, years of recording and I decided, you know, I felt pregnant and it was Jackie that I was pregnant with. And and the studios were giving me a very hard time. They wanted to sue me because I didn't want to record anymore. I was finished. I was tired of the music business. It was a very cutthroat business over there. And I was pregnant with my Jackie, and I was seven and a half months pregnant. And they said, please just come and do some more recordings. They said, we'll give you the London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road, because that's the only place I recorded was at Abbey Road. And this is the song that I wrote thinking I really don't want to sing anymore and this is sort of a story of how I really didn't want to sing and they recorded it Oh, fantastic. I see we're we're being told that we've got to wrap up now Um, Vanda, will you come back because I know people are going to need to hear and I want to hear about your conversion and what Judaism has begun to, was it a beautiful beautiful story? story. What Judaism means to you, to your family. Everything. And do you want to send a message to your family quickly? All your children, I'm sure, are listening. I love them all very much and it's just been a wonderful ride in my life that I have Hashem in my life and thank all. I want to thank personally to the Zulberg family for the shul that we have. Great. There's one more. Hi, Sue. Please acknowledge that not all Jews died, political dissenters, homosexuals, travelers, etc. Enough touchy-feely. That's very angry, Jew. Okay, I, I agree. We do have to acknowledge that... Um, 
n- not everyone was political dissenters and then um or homosexuals it's you, you were Jews and and that's the tragedy of it and we see it happening again now with the anti-semitism then there's another one that says such an inspiring story thanks Wanda and Sue that's great we have to end now and Craig is sitting next to me it's so good to have you back Craig and we're going to be ending with Banda's song